get a great deal of our theology, especially Presbyterian theology, is a grounding of the power of Christ in our lives. And as Paul shares with the people of Ephesus, he so too shares with us because we are joined to Christ as they. These words of encouragement and truth. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would, that we know that your word, when it goes forth, is profitable. We pray that you would add your blessing to this word. We pray that the words that are spoken will be true and will be accurate, and those that are inaccurate, may they fall to the ground. May your word be magnified and glorified, and may it point to you alone and glorify you alone. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In Disney's animated classic, The Lion King, there's a scene in which the young lion king, Simba, questions whether he should return to the pride. Believing that he, his irresponsibility led to the death of his father, and it did, though it was a setup by his uncle Scar, he considers himself a murderer. It is at this point that a cloud in the distance becomes to the young Simba a vision of his father. Mufasa, who exhorts him with these words, remember who you are. That was in itself a difficult proposition for the young lion. By declaration, he was a king. But in his own power, he had committed negligent homicide. Which one was he really? Was he a murderer or was he a king? Two natures wrestled within his heart. The declaration of who he was born to be and the actions that dictated the opposite. Now this is just a cartoon wrapped in the New Age worldview. But there's something about those words. Remember who you are. Why, why do they ring so clearly in my ears? Why does my heart long when I hear those words? Perhaps because they are similar to the words here, written by the Apostle Paul. As he instructs believers, remember who you are. Paul points out, first and foremost in this passage, that we are to remember who we are in our own power. Paul points out, 
First, that our powers are alien to us. He points out that the, the two powers that we think all the time that, that, that seem to be our own, our faith and our works. We seem to think that we have some part in our faith and we have some part in our works and we're, we're, we're controlling these two. But when we read the words of Paul, we're humbled. In verse 8, Paul indicates that our faith is alien to us. He states that it is a gift from God so that, verse 9, we might not boast. He knows the human heart, how easy it is to see the growth in ourselves and the progress and think, look what I've done. But he reminds us, he reminds us that faith, that faith didn't come from us. It was a gift from God. Secondly, he also reminds us that our works are alien to us. He reminds us of the supremacy of God's workmanship. Verse 10, we are God's workmanship. Literally in Greek, poema, poem. We're God's poem. This intricate work, this beautiful work of creation. We were created in Christ to do good works. All right, there we go, good works that were prepared in advance for us to do. And so we see our works are alien to us. And so he humbles us yet again in the understanding of who we are in our own power. And Paul knows this firsthand. He knows the traps of success. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews, advancing far past other Jews his age. In one blinding moment, he saw the truth of who he really was. And that his powers were nothing in and of himself. But Paul's humbling realization of his limited powers didn't end there. He continued to bear a thorn, some unknown thorn. People speculated what that was. Physical? Spiritual? Emotional? What was it? Whatever it was, the Lord wouldn't remove this thorn because it humbled Paul. And it reminded him that his power was made perfect in weakness, that the Lord was, was empowering Paul in his work and his service so that he would not grow prideful. Paul here in Ephesians reminds us in verses 11 through 12 that, that these Gentiles, they're like the stiff-necked Israelites who God warns in Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 7, hey, don't think that I chose you out of all the races of this, of this earth to take hold of the land because you're righteous. You're a stiff-necked people. And Paul goes on to remind these Gentiles that they were excluded from this kingdom of stiff-necked people. They weren't even by birth considered part of the people of God. They have nothing of which to boast. And we too are aliens to the kingdom. We're not only aliens in our power, but we're aliens to the kingdom. Now Paul knows how easy it is for one to get caught up in one's status as a person of God, as part of the people of God. Paul was a, was a Benjamite. They were the first tribe of Israel with the first king, Saul, after whom he's named. There must be great pride in this. 
He was the chosen of chosen. But then he came to see that God calls the alien. And he's made the apostle to the Gentile, aliens, to bring them into the kingdom of God. Even the law of the Israelites should have reminded them to be kind to the alien because God says to them, you were aliens. Be kind to the alien. How many times have we forgotten these things? And what frustrating thorns are pricking us even now? What gifts have we claimed as our own, thinking that the power is ours? What boasts have we made of our lineage? I come from a godly line, foreseeing a continuation of that godly line to the praise of God, but boasting in it nonetheless, forgetting that we are aliens to the kingdom brought in by Christ. The overriding danger of our beautiful covenant theology is this, that we can say, that person wasn't born of the right bloodline. That person, that person's not good enough to be part of the kingdom of God. You know, I, I, I do righteous things. That person's lost. That person's not a part of the people of God. Can't be a part of the people of God. Or, I can't believe that brother. What a fool. How ignorant. I know better than him. Our covenant theology is beautiful, but when we act in this way, maybe not in words, but in actions or in lack of action, we pervert the very beauty of covenant theology. Who of you deemed by neglect as worthless? Not worthy of the message of Christ. Yet the God of the universe who fashioned the galaxy that dazzles and astounds you sent his son to become flesh to lead a people who are sinful and miserable to be the people of God. It makes us think. It should make us take great pause to think. Are you the most faithful attender? The greatest giver? The most reformed of Presbyterians? And from a long line of God-fearing people? Remember that at one time, your parents drug you in and out of the service. We won't say where you went and what went on. We all know. You didn't have a dime to your name at one time. And reformed... Reformed is a word that we treat like it's a destination instead of a journey. And there was a time when all of us, or a great many of us, were in the cage stage of Reformed theology, beating to get out, or beating, trying to beat Reformed theology into someone else. And there was also a time long ago in that godly lineage that the first patriarch, turned from the sins of the fathers and began to worship God. Remember where you came from. 
And remember who you are in God's power. And, I mean, remember who you are in your own power, I'm sorry. Remember who you are in your own power. I remember my grandfather, the dispenser of pithy wisdom, once sitting by me in the back of our old station wagon. You remember that back seat that, that, that faced backwards, you know, you're, you're cut off from the rest of the family. And you're looking out this back window, and he's chuckling. And he says, you know, we don't know where we're going, but we sure know where we've been. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. But also at the time that somehow, somehow he was talking about a little bit more than our journey in a car. We don't know where we're going, but we sure know where we've been. And Paul doesn't remind us of who we were because he wants us to wallow in our own inabilities. Oh, I'm so bad. I'm so awful. I stink. I can't do anything. And to beat ourselves up, instead he wants to remind us, though we aren't there yet, we should look where we've been. God isn't done with us and the journey isn't over. And if we can see that we've come from a long way, and we've, we've, we've come from this person who we used to be, this awful person that we used to be, if we can see any progress in our life, it's not because we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It's not because we have made something from our, of ourselves. It is because God has wrestled us every single step of the way to where we are. And the glory for that goes to God alone in bringing us to this very room, to worship among the people of God. But Paul doesn't leave us there. He reminds us that God's grace covers all. He reminds us of the power of Christ. Paul urges believers to remember who we are by Christ's power. We are now near. Look at verse 13. It says that we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And don't let that flutter by you as so many useless words. There's a lot of theology in that little word near. First, it means that we are, not, we are now allowed to be part of God's people and are rightfully to be called Israel. So don't let anyone make you feel like a second-class citizen. You are part of the people of God. But secondly, it means more than that. For this Israel is better than the Old Testament Israel who had to stand back away from the Holy of Holies. We can now enter the holy place. We can come before the presence of God. He is so close that he is at hand. No longer separated from us by the Holy of Holies. He is among us so close that he lives within us. We are his privileged people and called to be his. But also, Christ makes, us forever, uh, makes a forever covenant for us, and so we are now God's children, caught up in that covenant between the Father and the Son. Also in verse 13, we see what it is that brings all of these things about that we've discussed. All these things we've seen. It is the blood of Christ that secures relationship between man and God forever. Because the covenant is sealed with his blood, we cannot be separated from God. He has engaged God in perfect relationship and teaches us by his word and by his Holy Spirit how to have relationship with the Father. I remember when I was coming under care of the Tennessee Valley Presbytery. And 
that day, Matt Novenson, uh, the son of Joe Novenson, the pastor of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, was also coming under care. And so we, there we are, the two of us standing up there, and, and Joe is gushing. Because here is his son who's coming, coming under care. He's going away to seminary. And the love between the father and the son is just so, it's so tangible in the room. And at the end, he's allowed to charge Matt. And he charges me as well. And then he gives Matt a hug. And then he turns to me. And he says, Zach, I don't know you, but would you accept a hug from a stranger? And he gave me a hug. And I, and I whispered this to him. I said, I'm so glad to be caught up between the love of a father and a son. And that's it. The covenant is not between me and God the Father. If it was between me and God the Father, I'm in bad shape. I'm in deep trouble. Because in my power, it's lightning time. It's wrath of God sort of stuff. But in Christ, in the Son, I'm blessed. Because of the blood of Christ, I'm covered. I'm brought in into a relationship from which I can never be pulled away. Because it's not about me and my relationship to God the Father. It's about the Son's relationship to the Father. And He teaches me what it means to relate to the Father. And He teaches me how to walk moment by moment in grace. But let's never forget that. Whenever we start feeling good about how pious we are, when we start feeling good about the fact that we have checked off our devotions for the week, let's not forget, I'm not maintaining my own salvation. Christ has bought it fully and completely. Which are my bursts of road obedience they could never earn. That's what the sacrament means, that we're brought near by the blood of Christ. By faith we partake of his body and blood, remembering though we were sinners, he made us part of his forever family. Not because of what we did, not because of what we would do, and not even, hear me, not even because he foresaw that we'd choose him. Because of that, is the most wonderful choice and most moral choice we can make of which we're completely unable without the power of the Holy Spirit already present causing us to call upon the name of Christ. No, it's because it was His perfect will to make us His own. That's what this meal means. And there's this in large letters, this to be continued, dot, 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 hanging out over, this, over the supper. Because one day, one day, he will return and we will eat this meal together and we will see each other face to face. We will dangle our feet beneath the same table and partake of these elements together. And the last wall shall fall.
The walls of death will be united to our bodies. We'll, be made, we'll, we'll have spiritual bodies. We'll live forever in his presence. And the walls of invisibility of God. No longer will I speak to empty air or what feels like empty air. I'll see him face to face. And we will love and we will share this meal and I will worship him face to face and forever. All because, not because of my power, because the power of Christ, because I have been, you have been, all Christians have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the salvation that we could never earn. Forgive us when we think that we have some part in it. Remind us of the grace that is yours toward us. Bring us to our knees and humble us. Humble us for the purpose of glorifying your precious and holy name. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.